to Clink, SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. Season one, episode two. This episode is called A Single Life. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. I also thought it was awful. Yeah. But not for the reasons why we hate other episodes. Yeah, no, this one is just weird. It's like nobody showed any concern for Cassidy being single or Munch being single. What? Like, oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah. We open up. Olivia's at like a uh, a street market at night buying her late night tomatoes. Yeah, Sorry. tomato. Sorry. <laughs> buying her late night tomato. She's buying one tomato. And this guy's trying to get her. He's like, ah, two for 50 cents. And she's like, I just need one. And he's like, four for a dollar. She's like, he's like, one tomato. I just want one. There's a whole thing with this tomato. Yeah, and he's like, mm, that's a shame. And she's like, yep, tragic. <laughs> because like that one exchange of like, oh, I just need one tomato. It's not like, I got to make this salsa. I got one tomato. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. It's like, this is clear that this is like a single serving shop situation yeah. going on with this lady. So yeah. he's like, mm, one tomato. She don't have, she doesn't have a boyfriend, so she doesn't need that extra tomato. Right. Have a good night, lonely woman. <laughs> <laughs> then she walks off into the night, passes a crime scene. As she's passing the crime scene, she's like casually just like, hey, police, and walks through. Hold on a second. No. Um, I think it's really interesting how there's lights and sirens and a crowd of people, and she's like just walks by and she's like, oh. It wasn't until she got right up on it that she even, like, saw it, you know? And she's like, oh, well, what's this? I better just snoop around. Me and my tomato better just snoop around. Yeah, and then they just let her in because she's a cop. Right, which she showed no ID. She showed no – I mean, she flashed, like, it could have been a fucking library card for all we knew. Yeah. She's like, oh, police. Pops herself right in there. And there's a woman on the hood of a car. And I was listening to a lot of the background noise, and there was talk, like, the new hood ornament. I'm like, Jesus. There was a, I just noticed this this time. There was a freaking guy in the crowd that was smiling hard <laughs> as she was walking up. And I was like, are they setting it up for like a future? Like this is one of like maybe some guy that like, you know how people like burn houses and then right. they like hang yeah. out. And I was like, mental note of that guy. I mean, I already forgot what he looked like, but you can see it. <laughs> it's like in the first 30 seconds. He was probably just so excited to be an extra on SVU, yeah. not realizing that every like, person yes, in the United yes. States gets to be an extra on SVU. <laughs> but it was only episode two, so he was just like, oh my God. It's not jury duty, chance. it's SVU duty. Right? <laughs> it's, it's our duty. I can't duty. wait to get my letter. <laughs> so she goes up and there's this indifferent cop. Uh, they're all just kind of like, like there's this woman splayed out on top of the hood of a car. It's all crashed in and stuff, so she fell from the building. The eighth floor, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, uh, hey, did anybody notify SVU? And he's like, because she's not wearing any panties, you mean? She's like, just cover her up. It's like, unless unless you're a five-year-old, don't refer to, like, un- grown people's underwear as panties. That's gross. They're up in the apartment uh, that she jumped from. And, like, by then, Stabler's there. She's there, uh, Olivia. And this cop is telling Stabler's details, including that there's no forced entry, you know, just details of of a couple hanging out. There's probably a quote unquote lover's quarrel. And then this overexcited dork cop comes up and he's like, detective, he's a pack of ultra ribs. (laughs) Like again, like fucking Beavis and Butthead over here (laughs) investigating. Benson and Stabler go back and forth um, with the D-bag detective and his 
classic rape denial bullshit lines. Like I said, no forced entry. She wasn't exactly wearing her refusal outfit. Uh. And Stabler gets hot, not as an angry as an I know. I mean, he's always hot, but like he gets. He was like. Irritated. Yeah. I mean, I'm he's saying like, hot you... as in I'm like, oh, I know Gabe's getting a lady boner over this <laughs> scene right now. Because he's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Yeah. Uh, my partner, Detective Benson. Yeah. Because she said one thing and he's like, what's this outburst about? Mm-hmm. She was like, um, I don't know. I'm part of this investi- investigation and you're a piece of shit. Right. Oh, so this cop that Stabler's talking to, he also, I don't know if it was an acting choice or unintentional, but he has uh, latex gloves, like crime scene latex gloves on his hands. And he's talking and being really casual and scratches his face with it. And I'm like... Hey, that's cross-contamination. <laughs> Pushed up my glasses and took notes of it. Yeah, he sucked. Right. Uh, and he's a misogynistic dick to Olivia. Stabler continues to check him, and then he just can't take it anymore. And he hands it off to He's like, fine, you guys take care of it. Scooch, Jacoby, let's move out. <laughs> Which is also Tasha's son's name. Yeah. <laughs> she Not na- Scooch, she, Jacoby. Or er, Jacoby. Just Jacoby. She actually named Jacoby after this line. That's not true, <laughs> but... <laughs> Jacoby is going to end up being a professional downhill skier. <laughs> I feel like that's a that's a skier's name. I wish Darla was named Scooch. Oh, yeah. Let's start calling her Scooch. Yeah, I'm going to. Scooch, Jacoby. Let's Get move your it. car seats. <laughs> so they're in the busy precinct. Busy, busy, bustling, bustling, looking at the crime scene photos, uh, speculating about who could have done it. Um, could be a boyfriend or it could be a woman. It could be, you know, or, oh, because Munch says to Jeffrey's... It could be a girl. You could toss 100 pounds without breaking a sweat. And Jeffries is like, toss you, you skinny-ass geek. Uh, Munch yeah. is bitching about technology because someone mentions a laptop. So Yeah. We're trying to figure out if it was possibly her neighbors. But all of her neighbors were like didn't really know her mm-hmm. beyond like a nod and a wave. Right. They do establish that the Vic was a writer um, and that she had written some presumably risque articles. But it was really just like as deep as... Like Cosmo shit. Yeah, like, exactly. How to have your best orgasm or like. Yeah, and they're like, whoa. And Munch is like, somebody kill for that. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are back at the Vic's apartment. Her name's Gretchen Quinn. Okay, so at this point we find out her name's Gretchen Quinn. And uh, Stabler is listening to her voicemail over and over. What was it called? Her answering machine. Yeah. 1990s. Her answering machine. And it's very Marilyn Monroe. Hi, this is Gretchen. Leave a message. You know, very. Yeah, breathy. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. But she worked at home. Um, she didn't have any messages, so it seemed like she was kind of like a loner. So they're outside. Then uh, Benson and Stabler are outside questioning neighbors, and the neighbors like, I don't know. It was like they're not going to get anywhere with the neighbors. Yeah, because they're like, why would I, how would I know? Yeah, I heard a noise. What am I going to do? Stick my head out the window? And then these other people are like, oh my god, that that apartment, that apartment up there. How we're, long is that going to be a crime we're next scene on the list? Yeah, we're we're looking for a one bedroom. <laughs> like yeah. Jesus Christ, we're not getting anywhere. <laughs> So then there's this fun banter between Benson and Stabler. They're walking to the car and they're going on about living in the city and how much Stabler's wife does because he's always at work. And Olivia's like, or he's, he was saying something about how she's, Olivia spends a lot of time alone, really establishing this like poor, lonely Olivia yeah. spinster story. She's like, yeah, I'm a regular monk. And Stabler's like, monkette. <laughs> and just waits and looks at her. And she's like getting into the car. Doing him a favor by pretending she didn't hear that terrible dad joke. Yeah. But then she looks up and she's he, like, what are you fucking, why is this like, weird pause? She's like, what? And he's like, 
nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you going to laugh at my joke? No? All right. I thought it was like, he was like, oh, I'm worried about her. And she's like, what are you staring at? And he's like, oh, nothing. It could be any number of things, including like, I will they, won't that they, it, that they, that they really were trying to start, a you know, from the beginning. or something, yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I do hope that it's like an awkward, like, I'm giving you a minute to laugh at my joke. Oh, you're not? Okay, cool. It's fine. I think that would be perfect and comedic and a great break in this horrible storyline, but say la vie. So then Stabler's at home and it's a real everybody loves Raymond moment. Stabler's got his sleeves pushed up and he's fixing the garbage disposal. The kid's practicing piano and his wife Kathy's telling him he installed the garbage disposal wrong if he just would have let them do it from Sears. Yeah. The warranty uh, was expanded from Sears. So then Stabler gets it all together, proudly displays its functionality, just as their son runs in and asks where his turtle is that he left in the sink. Wah, wah. I know this is a drama, but it feels like a laugh track moment yeah. and a missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> SVU should have always had a laugh track. <laughs> just for moments like this. Like, not a cut, you know, it's not like this is the perp and he murdered nine people. No laugh track there. We're all very aware of that. Uh, no, maybe it would lighten things up. <laughs> the court scene. Dear Dick When Wolf. he says fromage instead of frotage, Ugh. laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're at the Supreme Court and Cassidy is testifying as the detective. Mm-hmm. Um, he arrested somebody on the sub- subway for molesting a corpse. This guy thought that the lady was like smiling at him and went over and like... Well, this is the story. This is the story, yeah. He went over and like put his hand in her blouse and like put her hand on his junk once he realized he he thought she was asleep this guy oh yeah he's like oh yeah this is you know i thought that there was a moment but then i realized she was asleep and made her jerk him off and then realized she was dead and so the fucking this has nothing to do with just the lawyer the lawyer's defense against or for the uh defendant was that it can't be molestation because like a corpse doesn't have autonomy over its own body. Right. Where was the assault? And they were kind of showing like Cassidy's sort of green around the gills. Like I'm right. the new guy. And he's like. That's a nice way of saying he's stupid because he's stupid. He's yeah. a he's a hot little dummy. Yeah. And they're like, what is it called? And he like tests him in front of the jury. Like what's it called when a when somebody fondles a, another human? So he, he was like fromage and he's like it's actually frotage and he's like uh, you mean frotage did you see like <laughs> there was a guy in the jury that was like oh. <laughs> what I'm like I've literally never even heard that and I watch these shows all the time mm-hmm. oh my god I have a fucking degree in criminal justice like right. <laughs> I've never heard of frotage or fromage I don't even know which one's the right one right and um, he's like well I don't know what it's called but I think it's sick or whatever. And yeah. then they, so they're, they're just, that was pretty much just to show how stupid, how yeah. stupid newbie he is. Mm-hmm. But that was, a, that was a lawyer's defense. Like, <laughs> she was dead. <laughs> Wrap how, it up. How is the jury laughing at this guy for saying the wrong word, but they're letting that detect, that lawyer anywhere near them? They're like, mm-hmm. I'd be like, ew, you're gross. Oh my God, you're like, you think that's not assault? Yeah. All of it's gross. Yeah. Which right. is so fucking weird. It's like, how are we going to, okay, writer's room. We need to let everybody know that Cassidy's new and he's also kind of a dum-dum. Let's, let's ask one of the, uh, let's, have, let's ask Dick Wolf's nephew. What do you think? <laughs> Dick Wolf's nephew is named Jeremy. And he's a perv. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now um, they're, th- I think they were like going through her Rolodex. 
Mm-hmm. They're right. they're in Craigan's office. For anybody that doesn't know what a Rolodex is, um, it's the contacts, the contact list on your phone. Only it's in paper form and it makes a circle. I would have never thought to explain that to someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so they're kind of just going through people, and one of them is her uh, therapist, Dr. Mark Daniel. So they're at his office. Um, they inform him that she's dead. Um, he lets them know that her parents are dead, and she has, but she has a sister in Denver. But she's very private. Because they're just, they're just trying to, like, inform somebody that, like, somebody in her family, because they can't, like, figure out anybody in her life. So then the detectives are asking about the next of kin and everything. And so the, her sister's name is Ellen. We will meet her later. Mm-hmm. They're back. Okay. So after they leave, Olivia doesn't like that the doctor didn't ask how Gretchen died. And Stabler just kind of shrugs it off and is like, yeah, well, you didn't ask. They're at the coroner's office. Going over injuries, and they're all seemingly sustained by her fall. And Olivia keeps pushing and keeps pushing and keeps pushing. Like, well, what if it's, you know, what if it's from this? What if it's from this? What if, you know, what if this injury, maybe that could be from this? There was no, like, sexual injuries or anything, like... She just keeps asking questions, which is, like, the behavior of a good detective. But the coroner's like, I'm on your side. Yeah. Basically to tell Olivia that... Like, you do your job and I'll do my yeah, job. Yeah, like I'm doing everything I can and like so far everything. Right, like she can't create injuries that aren't there. Yeah. So she's sort of like, she doesn't have any injuries from fighting anybody off. Like all of these injuries seem to be just sustained from somehow going through Lacerations a window. from the glass, like mm-hmm. a broken neck, like all the stuff that. Yeah. There was no, no signs of a struggle. Right. Yeah. So then they go to Cragen's office and Cragen is sitting there with a Costco-sized tub of red vines. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't ever want them to address it. I don't ever want them to talk about it. I want that tub to go from that size. Like originally, I wish I could. I need to go look back in episode one because I want there to be like a small, you know, just a package, <clears throat> like a candy bar-sized package that he puts in his front pocket. No, no, no. Like one, he just has one in his hand, and then it just keeps building. And then he's got this Costco tub. Like, oh, sweet. There Next was a thing sweet you know, deal. His office is made of red vines. <laughs> he has a, a gingerbread house, except it's red vines. He has a jacuzzi tub in his office full of red vines, and they walk in, and he's shirtless in the tub. <laughs> but they never address it. They're just yeah. like, Captain, we've <laughs> got a like, break what? in the case. I still have those red vines that you brought over when I was sick. Yeah. They're discussing Gretchen's lack of relationships uh, and that the therapist is being uncooperative and that they need a warrant to push forward his pussy footing, mm-hmm. as Cragen called it. And a call comes in with information saying that a fingerprint match on the wine glass in Gretchen's apartment matches the therapist. Mm. And Cragen's like, well, I guess the pussy footing's over. And then he chomps on the red vine like... like if you think we're exaggerating how like uh, I was, like clownish I was, this is, yeah, he chomped on it like it was a th- <laughs> like it was like it was a um, piece of beef jerky. Yep, cigar, beef jerky, toothpick. But he's an old timey cowboy. Celery, like, Bugs Bunny, and a carrot. Groucho marks. Benson and Stabler are at the office of Doctor Mark Daniels, the therapist. His brother is there too, the therapist brother, mm-hmm. and he's his lawyer apparently. Mm-hmm. And he's there to be annoying and answer any questions yeah. that they have. So he said he was at the victim's apartment at 1.30 in the afternoon that day for a brief professional consultation. Uh-huh, right. We all know right now that he's banging her, right? He was like, I just came for lunch to attend to this crisis, but then I was back to work with my other patients by like 2.30. 
And that evening he was with like a lady fellow therapist. Yeah. From well, six he's, to nine. he's like, oh, I was at a uh, colleague's office. A lady colleague. <laughs> okay. We get it, dude. You like, you get it. Yeah. We, we got that. So he said he was there from 6.30 until 9 p.m. that evening having dinner. And my favorite innuendo exchange of that whole back and forth was the lawyer was like, he was at Miss Quinn's apartment briefly at lunchtime to attend to a crisis. And Benson's like, or an erection. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Mark Daniels He's goes, like, that's insulting. <laughs> and Stabler's like, really? I thought it was the absence of one that was insulting. <laughs> Anyways, so they, uh, Benson and Stabler like meet very briefly with the lady therapist. Um, she, I have that in quotes too. Yeah, <laughs> she confirms that they were together um, that evening having dinner at her house. And they asked if she knew anything about like his partners, sexual partners. And she's like, we're completely like professional. I have like zero interest in like his personal life. So that's, there's like nothing there. Right. They head to the New York ledger. Wait. <laughs> I knew you were going to, I knew there was something, that, there was like a th- disconnect. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler leave the building and Benson's like, do you think she's lying for him? And Stabler's like, meh, who can tell? That's literally your job. <laughs> Like, this is the second time in, like, ten minutes that Stabler's been like, hmm, I don't know. Weird. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, Stabler? Because I was like, yeah, you're right. We can tell. <laughs> Moving on. Wait, so, oh, when they're outside mm-hmm. talking about who can tell or whatever, he uh, Elliot gets a, Stabler gets a phone call. Right. And it's the dude from the New York Ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, he had called him because he was also in her Rolodex. Okay, so they go there. Uh, Stabler and this dude from the Ledger have, like, some banter there. They have history with each other, and yeah. they make it clear because he knows, you know, his former partner. So he didn't know her. He had never met her, but but ran some of her articles and talked to her on the phone a few times over columns. And there was, like, this weird... He's like, oh, what like a, a shame. Deep, and Olivia's like... He's like, no, this is, like, a deep well you fall into. Yeah. She's like, oh, because she was a stone-cold fox. And he's like, or a babe, or whatever. And he's like, uh, no, you're a stone-cold fox. And, and a, babe. a babe. Yeah. And he's like... But no, no, no. She's like a, a deep well you would fall into. What a waste. Yeah, I... Like, hate, gross, dude. I hated this guy. Yeah, I did too. Benson and Stabler are getting hot dogs. <laughs> Stabler <laughs> is getting a... Stabler is like the most subtle comic relief of this show that I never appreciated until I had to start taking notes on it. Mm-hmm. He, he asks for relish. And then he asks for more relish. And he's like, come on, more relish. To this guy, as Olivia is just like, oh, yeah, but what about this? And what da, 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 da. And she's, you know, doing all her detective stuff and connecting and he's like dots. Ta- he's, like, talking to the guy about, like, putting up more hot dog stands on different corners. He's, like, trying to get him to go, like, corporate. So then Olivia's on the phone finding out that Gretchen has a long-running series of expensive dinners for the last year because she was on the phone with her, like, credit card company or whatever mm-hmm. to get a little bit more of a lead. And so the last one that she was at is their next stop. So they go to Il Pasto Vecchio mm-hmm. and a maitre d' with an odd fake accent is engaging with them and they're like oh this person he's like so many beautiful faces to remember <laughs> or whatever sounds like somebody from like 70s SNL fresh fresh Pepe <laughs> that's, that's 90s bellissima no it's very you know what I'm talking about you're doing yeah. the same bit yeah. it was very it wasn't as uh, as cheesy stereotypical Italian as I'm doing yeah. but um it was very staccato. So a server walks by and peeks in, and she's like, oh, I remember her. She was dining with uh, Dallas Warner, who's a news anchor. Um, and she's like, I got a serious tip. Not from him, though. She must have been his boss. And I was like, yeah. And yeah. she goes, I love that. Yeah. 
Like, yes, bitch. I love that too. <laughs> so they're at um, the news station and they're in Dallas Warner's office and he's not really like paying attention. They have to kind of be like, bro, hello. He's fucking Shooter McGavin if he's a day. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect. So he said he hadn't spoken to her in over a month and he has an alibi for his whereabouts. He was at a restaurant for dinner with his wife and he's like, you can talk to her, but like keep the whole like affair thing like on the DL. Right. And here's, here's like a picture of her if you need. I like when they're, when they're like leaving the station and Elliot's like, you just know that a guy like that, like his alibi is going to check out. Yeah. yeah. Which is true. But so Benson and Stabler are, are then they're watching um, Dallas Warner do the news. So they're behind the prompter and they're just like bitching about him. And they're talking about how he's a fucking sociopath. And Stabler's just annoyed with him for existing the way that he is. So then I was looking up information, the profile of a sociopath. So just some bullet points of it. Some traits of a sociopath include glibness and superficial charm. They're manipulative and cunning. They never recognize the rights of others and see their self-serving behaviors as permissible. They have a grandiose sense of self, pathological liar, lack of remorse, shame, or guilt, shallow emotions, incapacity for love, and a need for stimulation. Is this an intervention? All of the... <laughs> did, did you just create this podcast just to get to this this episode to have an intervention with me? Gabe. <laughs> no, but this describes every one of my ex-boyfriends. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm not going to go off. on Right. I'm, like, I'm waiting and I'm just like, are we going to have to delete names? Don't do names. Like, I'm not doing it. So they're at the Black Pearl restaurant. I'm obsessed with this server. He is overacting the hell out of this moment. He's got a handful of lines and he's like, I'm going to serve this shit. I am classically fucking trained and everybody's going to know it. Yeah. I loved it. Um, He was like, yeah, they were here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing the fucking voice. But he's uh, like, yeah, they were here. Um she was crying and touching his shoulder and you could tell by the look on his face like he was already gone. Yeah, like, he was like he was they being were, like, cold. He was over it. Yeah, yeah, so he was pretty much describing yeah. her fall apart and him not give a shit. Yeah. So they go back to Dallas Warner's office and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I was with her." <laughs> yeah. He's with her the night that she died. Big deal. Who cares? She had been with jerks, but he was good for her is mm-hmm. what he was trying to say and she had confided in him. So he was like this weird, they had a, just a obviously very like uh, toxic relationship, but she told him she'd been sleeping with her psychiatrist for a couple of weeks. Um, and Olivia and this guy kind of butt heads cause the guy's a douche mm-hmm. and he was being super misogynistic and shitty to Olivia. And she just is poking and poking him. And finally Stabler's like, Hey, uh, why don't you go back to the DA's office and get that OBB started? Mm-hmm. So I tried to find what he meant by OBB. Like those tampons? Um, no, those are OB. But I was looking for OBB and I did all this Googling and I couldn't find anything that made sense. But my favorite option on the freedictionary.com was original bidet bottle. Oh. Picture it. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but I'm it, I'm picturing just basically the, go take care of that douche situation. <laughs> Olivia, back to the office. So they're out in the hallway. Uh, Stabler and Benson are out in the hallway at Warner's office. She's like, he won't give anything to, to us as long as I'm here. So I need to yeah. go. Stabler goes back up to, or he goes to the rooftop with uh, Warner. And Warner tells Stabler he won't testify what Gretchen told him about the psychiatrist in front of a grand jury because he just doesn't want to get found out that he was having an affair with her. Like, mm-hmm. why is he having dinner with this woman? He just doesn't want to do any explaining to his wife. Yeah. So Stabler shits on him on a personal level, which. Yeah, he because the guy, because Dallas was like, 
Yeah, I mean, it's your word against mine, and I'm, my word is trusted all over the world. And then Staves is like, how about in your own home? How good's your word there, Dallas? Just owns the shit out of him. Yeah. And then they just um, soap opera stare at each other. And then it cuts out. Okay, so they're back at the precinct. Uh, no one has claimed the victim's body yet. They also haven't gone through her shit. Craigan makes them. It's kind of funny because they're like going to sit down and Craigan's like, have you guys gone through their stuff? And they're like, oh no, we just ha- we just haven't had time yet. And they start sitting down and he's like, now would be a good time. Mm-hmm. And then they like get back up and start going through her shit. They find a book that's been overdue for 20 years at Patterson High School. So they go to Patterson High School and they found they find out that the victim's real name was not Gretchen Quinn, but Susan Sadarsky. Okay. What? So Benson and Stabler are questioning the psychiatrist at the station with his lawyer brother. And the doctor goes into the victim's history of sexual abuse by her father, which led to her unhealthy sexual relationships as an adult. And so then they confront him about his unethical sexual relationship with her. And he says he didn't mean to betray her. Yeah. And it's like, well, and you Stabler's did. And like, you did. And I'm going to tell. Right. I'm going narc. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go tell the fucking. Psychiatry board or whatever. Yeah. Next scene. Stabler and his wife getting ready for bed. <sighs> I can't. We're going to have to. Mm-hmm. So Gabe's not going to hear any of this. Just just assume that she's blacked out until the scene is over. Stabler is undressing into the tiniest, lowest cut briefs I've ever seen on primetime television. Yeah. I was like, did my TV switch to logo real quick? Nope. Yeah. I don't even like those things, but I was like, now I do. It was basically a banana hammock. Yeah. And he was filling it out. Yeah. He was. <laughs> But so Stabler is going on to his wife about the case and how awful this woman's life was and like finding out about like the shit with her dad and everything else. And she's like splicing in fucking Billy or I don't know, whatever the kid made you a made you a ashtray out of Play-Doh. And he's like, I don't smoke. And she's like, well, good, because the other kid put it in the garbage disposal. Yeah, she's like, yeah, no, duh. Right. It's like, I'm just telling you things. He just can't help but continue to go back to it. And it's just showing how the job just, it's, it's just really intense. Like you can't, I mean, I can't imagine having you can't that go home. You can't go home and be like, well, I'm just going to disconnect from knowing that this girl was raped by her father from 13 to 18. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like you can't Brutal. just unplug from that. So then he's just kind of like falling apart as she's trying to distract him. And then she just ends up giving in and just hugging him. And he, oh, he was like a little boy. It was so sad. He was like her own father. How could anybody? Ugh. My tiny undies. <laughs> my tiny man panties. Ew. What? Manties? <laughs> I wrote, oh shit, he's gonna get naked. <laughs> oh shit, he's gonna get naked. He's processing work with his wife and he's got some manties on and I'm not mad about it. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the, the entirety of your notes. That's all the notes. So. so Benson and Munch are at the precinct then. Munch found Gretchen's sister. She's in New York. And they were kind of going back and forth and determined that like she was likely abused by their father as well. Craigan lets them know that Gretchen's sister is there to talk to the detectives. Benson and Stabler go into the, they go into an interview room with a sister and she she's cold. She gives them very little, um, but she she does say she hasn't spoken to her sister in 20 years, but Gretchen recently reached out and she was trying to build a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, well, she was a drama queen and blah, blah, blah. And she's and they tried to bring up like the abuse stuff. And she's like, I'm just here to sign the paperwork and go to sex release. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to sex. I'm like, go back to Colorado. Yeah. And they're like, well, blah, blah, blah. Your dad. And she's like, he's dead. And after she walked out, Olivia clocked her outfit as high end and was like yeah that's it not was really... more fifth avenue than it was rocky mountain or whatever yes and, and then somehow stabler is like i don't get it i'm a guy and you're like please <laughs> you can't tell when somebody looks nice 
right bullshit well i don't know because like i'll i'll have some I'm like doing a jack off motion right now okay <laughs> it's gonna get everywhere i don't know i can see <laughs> oh my god that imaginary jizz it burns <laughs> it imaginary burns <laughs> I don't know. I would agree that because like I'll have something, you know, I'll buy something and I'll be like, I'll be like, oh, my God, John, guess how much this costs? And he's like thirty dollars. And I'm like three hundred. So now you're mad at me <laughs> because, you know, he, he can't tell. I'm just like, oh, my God, it's it's it. Or I'll show, you know, this this handbag versus this one or we'll be shopping. I love like clock and handbags, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm like handbags. So I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, that we're at Target. I'm like, that chick's bag is twenty two hundred dollars, and he's like, why? Yeah, I you mean, know, and why? he's like, it looks like her bag, and I'm like, no. Yeah, okay, but yeah, fair so enough. fair enough. I'm not, to, I'm not trying to generalize dudes or anything, but I can totally see if somebody's just like, oh, I'm just a detective doing detective things and being a dad and fixing garbage disposals and shit. Yeah, I killed a turtle. I don't have time An for accident. this. Yeah. I've been trying to hunt down this goddamn painted turtle so I can trick my son into believing it's the one. We've got a whole side story going on Friday night at eight. <laughs> like, oh, so so then as they're as they're doing this back and forth conversation, the trust Hold on, fund. I gotta get there. Oh shit, he's gonna get naked. <laughs> the trust fund that Gretchen has comes into question because they're like, oh, she looks like she spends a lot of money. Is mm-hmm. kind of what they're getting at. Uh, so then they go back to the New York Ledger to talk to Stabler's pal and get the info on the Sadarsky Trust because these girls have a trust from their dad. Mm-hmm. Benson, Stabler, and Cragen are all discussing that uh, Gretchen and her sister have two separate trusts, but they quickly find out that Gretchen's trust wasn't touched ever. Yeah. $3.5 million are and in growing. this trust yeah. and continues to grow. And the... This living trust is managed by her father. Her dead father? Who's supposed to be dead. Yeah. Nope. He's alive and he's in Jersey. Ew. (laughs) To both. (laughs) You know, Jersey's actually very beautiful. I don't know why the fuck. I've never been there, but I love the jokes. He's Jersey. He skis in his (laughs) jeans. (laughs) All right, so now they're at Laurel Athletic Shoes. Uh, Robert Sardusky. Sardusky. The dad is informed that his daughter is dead. Uh, he's like kind of freaking out because he thinks it's his youngest daughter, and he's like visibly upset. When Benson and Stabler inform him that it's his second child, Susan, he is like relieved and kind of brushes it off. So he has these two daughters, the, um, what's her name again? Ellen. Ellen and Susan. And then not now he's got a new family, like a wife and a 10-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and they're vacationing in Jersey on the, like, on the oh shore. oh, my God, they're up at the shore. Like, how could she have fallen out a window? And he's, yeah. like, visibly upset, tearing yeah. up. He's like, I, I have to call my wife. I have to. And they're like, oh, she fell out of this window. And they're, he's like, that's not possible. How is that? Yeah. And they're like, they're like, hello, Susan. Susan, your wife, your, your daughter, Susan. And he's he like, like, oh, he's Susie. Like, he's like, yeah, she was a troubled child, and what a way to go. Well, if there's nothing else... Yeah, I mean, did you see Olivia's face? Pretty much, she was like, "What? What the fuck?" Yeah, Olivia is now obviously like worried about the this young daughter, mm-hmm. of course. So Benson and Stabler are outside discussing the statute of limitations, talking about being able to enact Megan's law to try to prevent his ten year old from the same experience. Because mm-hmm. Stabler's like, "Well, there's nothing we can do," and she's like, "There is another kid now." Yeah, she's got three. He's like, "We, we just have to hope that it won't." The cycle won't repeat. Every time there's... She's like, hope? Yeah. What? Every time there's a case, there are always like nine subcases where mm-hmm. Olivia's like, yeah, we need to figure out like this dead lady thing, but now there's this little girl that we has got like three more to... years until she's going to be raped. So 
Megan's Law, just real quick, an aside. It's a U.S. federal law requiring law enforcement agencies to make certain information about convicted sex offenders known to the public and various state laws requiring the establishment of sex offender registries and community notification of residents when a sex offender moves into the neighborhood. It's really just making it public that someone's a sex offender. Yeah. Anyway, so it's at night. Um, Olivia kind of, you know, wanders into Cragen's office. Before that, though. Oh, what? It just cuts to her. It cuts to Olivia standing outside on the street, longingly looking up at somebody's window with like a parent interacting with a child. It took me 10 watches to figure out that it was a couple. I thought it was like a kid and no, then it the was dad. like a man and a woman. They were was like, it? they were, he they was, were like fixing the they were curtain, whatever. curtains together. Okay. And so she, whoever these people were, she was looking at them longingly. Like, and she's like, I'm single and I want that right they're like olivia we need to just get some b-roll of you being lonely (laughs) and she's like got it cut it (laughs) we need more we need we really need to hard establish that you're lonely i think i just like didn't even write that in there because i was like that's the dumbest thing i've ever seen in my life (laughs) so it's at night she's at the precinct she goes into craigan's office and he pulls out a bottle of booze in a glass and she's like, I thought you didn't drink. And he's like, I don't, but doesn't mean you can't, you know? And she's all like worked up sort of emotionally about like the case and like about this new child. And Cragen tells a pretty intense story about how his wife dies in a plane wreck. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. Cause I listened to it a couple times and I was like, was it a metaphor or did she like, well, he because was like, the way he spoke was across. very, yeah. She was on a turnaround flight. And I mean, it was like, I found out my wife was dead and I was already sober and I wished I could drink. He was telling her a story of the darkest moment of his life. Yeah. And how he wanted to get to oblivion. Mm-hmm. And Olivia. Kind of like our Vic. Makes it, <laughs> makes it about, she didn't even say like, hey, oh shit, sorry, man. Or like. Like, like, oh my whoa, god. Wow, that's, that's I didn't know that. Like I'm so sorry. Yeah, she's like, just like our victim. She slept with every guy on the block to get to that same place. And he's like, Yeah, anyways, like go, you know, go figure it out. <laughs> I was like, yeah. holy shit. And it was kind of a reach, but I guess that's where her head was at, and she couldn't get out of that space either. But he's like, You get inside her head, you do that, you'll get to the perp. Yeah. So then the team is all sitting, they're all together in the precinct the next day, spitballing. They're, they're like, they're kind of all thinking that maybe it was the father. Well, some of them are like, oh, it's the therapist. Olivia's like, no, it's the father. Right. Yeah. They're just kind of going back and forth about like, what could be this? What is the motive? What is that? Round and round. So Benson's like, we got to talk to the sister. Like, we've got to get to Ellen Travis, Susan Sadarsky slash Gretchen Quinn, Quinn's sister. Yeah. So Benson gets to her outside of her hotel and she makes niceties and the sister's not about any of it and she's just like intense woman on the go and she's like I got I'm getting out of here I'm go I want to get back to Colorado Olivia tries to persuade her by telling her about her little half sister and she's like you know what's going to happen to her mm-hmm. she's like no I don't and she's like yeah and she's like you can see her cracking the armor the yeah. facade that she is walking around she's with like, this cracking. Olivia's just like one more day in a lifetime. Like, and she's and she's sitting there claiming that her dad didn't do anything to her, and her eyes are welling up with tears. I loved this woman, yeah, this she's, actress. And yeah. then when she, oh, the, oh, yeah, I know. So, you're so she's just like, <sighs> she reluctantly goes to the precinct. So this scene is Benson, Stabler, and Ellen looking through the one-way glass at Robert Sadarsky, who's sitting in the interrogation room, and she's like, just like staring through him, and she's like, can you imagine being a little girl? in his house Mm. 
I just got full body chills. Yeah. Partly because I have to pee, but me too. But you know. but I but I was gonna anyways. So yeah, pee both chills. chills. Oh, got it. <laughs> she walks into the interrogation room to confront him with that. She doesn't ask. She's just like, fuck it, and walks mm-hmm. in. And Benson and Stabler are like, uh, can we use any of this? And we're like, let's just let it happen. She confronts <laughs> him. She accuses him of. Like, she's, First of all, he gets up to give her a hug. Ugh. She's like, don't fucking touch me. Doesn't even act surprised, like, oh, my God, my other daughter. I haven't seen you in 20 years. It's weird. So she accuses him of, like, she's saying the grossest shit that I don't, if you want to say any of the lines, you go right ahead. You talk about that pie thing? I don't like it. I don't want to say any of it. And she does it so good that it's, like, even worse. Yeah. Do you want me to say it? Say it. She was like, he's like, honey, sweetie pie. And she's like, oh, is that what you call the new one? Let daddy get a taste of that sweet, sweet pie. Ugh. I know. I'm... Oh, she did it so good. She's a good actress. She is a really good and actress. He's like, hey, you're making a costly mistake. And she's like, oh, the trust fund? Stick it up your fucking ass. She didn't say fucking, but she did say ass. She said fucking with her eyes. Yeah. Yeah, she accuses him of, like, the shit with his current daughter. And he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Accuses him of of killing Gretchen. And he's like, I had an alibi. And whatever, and she's like, not that night, not the other night, mm-hmm. implying, like, you killed her through her entire childhood. So, yeah, he throws the trust in her, in her face, and she just kind of laughs, and she's like, stick it up your ass. She's like, I talked to the lady cop, yep. and turns out there's a judge in Jersey that if she tells her story to the grand jury. Because then she finally says out loud and confronts him about raping her, too. Yeah. She pulls out a piece of paper. And it's a letter from her sister. She wrote her own heartbreaking obituary, and we find out it was a suicide. Yep. And that would be the very end, except she reads it, and she's just on her knees in front of her disgusting father, sobbing with this letter in her hand, and just, like, buries her head into his chest. Like, she can't even bring herself to come up. And he's sitting in like a rolling office chair with his arms dangling behind the and seat head, like, and like the weird, like it's, it's, it was an odd choice. Yeah. Also it was, um, I don't know. It like, you could, I don't, I don't know. The, that whole thing was odd to me, but I'm I can't surprised she didn't that. like run out. I mean, but he also is like her dad too. Oh. You know what I mean? And I, I don't, you wouldn't I, know. I can't even begin like to know the dynamics of how that stuff works in, within families. Like, right. Because no matter, like, how fucked up your family is, they're still your family. And, like, some people can't get away from that. And some people, like, cut it off. But, like, like she hadn't spoken to her dad in, what, like, 20 years or something? Yeah. Oh, Fucked. Right. I have to pee before I do this chaser. Okay. I'm going to pee after you. I'm going to pause it. Okay. I'm going to pause it. Pause it. God, is this going to be fucked up? Um, yeah. It's brief. I've got, I've got two little things... One is just like this little blip that I found because there were there's always so many elements in these that there you could go a number of directions. So this first little piece is an article or it's it's from an article from the Grand Forks Herald, North Dakota. David Harris Bialik, who's 59, is a licensed independent clinical social worker employed by the Center for Psychiatric Care for the last 20 years. Mm. He had previously been on the National Association of Social Workers in North Dakota and the president of the Board of Directors for Mental Health America of North Dakota. Bialik began treating a woman with weekly sessions from January until April, the court document said. 
During an April appointment, she and Bialik had consensual sex in an empty office room during a scheduled appointment. Bialik arranged to meet the woman at a hotel room during the next scheduled appointment, and the affidavit, the affidavit reported that they had sex again. Bialik told the woman he would report in her medical records that she didn't show up to the appointment in an attempt to hide where they'd actually been. This is from the court document. Mm -hmm. He asked her to lie about their relationship if anyone asked, and the affidavit said he told her to say they had an emotional affair and it was a transference thing. Transference is a term for when a patient redirects emotion toward their therapist. Mm -hmm. So basically like, hey, we're just, if anybody finds out about this, it was an emotional thing and it was all your fault. Right. Bialik was then, you know, it was found out and whatever, and he's facing three felony charges of sexual exploitation by a therapist, and each charge holds a five-year maximum sentence. So the charges were filed Monday, July 1st, but I couldn't find any more beyond that. So it was a little while ago, but it was recent enough that, mm -hmm. like, this shit happens. And I found some information about, like, from peer-reviewed surveys that the percentage of mental health professionals having sex with their clients has dramatically decreased. In 1977, 12.1% of male therapists reported having sex with clients and 2.6% of female therapists reported having sex with clients. Uh, in 1994, the repost came back at 3.6% for males and 0.5% for females. And this was coming from a pool of a thousand, all anonymously. But in 1977, the return rate of the survey was also much higher. So in 1977, it was the return rate was 70%. And then when they did it again in 94, it was 45.3%. So I'm sure that contributes to mm -hmm. the findings as well. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if people. I mean, when I was in high school and they did those surveys where they asked you questions about like your drug use and shit, I immediately assumed that there was a camera on me. Yeah. So I never answered it honestly. Yeah. Not to say that gonna find high school me and a, and a trained therapist are going to like be the same like wavelengths <laughs> like mentally, but So what happened to the lady? Um I don't know that was all that was all I could find out about it, but I just wanted to throw that on there because there was also information about rain.org. Uh, RAIN is R-A-I-N-N, -N, and it stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Mm. They have a 24-7 contact, including an 800 number and live chat on their website. We'll put the info in the episode description. But this is my main story. Okay. <sighs> oh, God. Here we go. This is out of the UK. Hold on. Let me take a sip of my beer. Okay. Go, 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 go. I'm like, just kidding. That wasn't really me good. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. I'm really good at it. <laughs> in 1982, Nicola Keim lost her mom. <laughs> Stop! <I'm t> <laughs> I tried to hold her hand. She didn't like it. It's fine. I was just not ready for it. And I'm. This is a very like intense. Like no, I'm getting. Okay, go. You're getting inappropriately silly because you're having a hard time with the content. But okay, it is what it is. Go. In 1982. Oh my god, that was the year I was born. Go look, ahead. Look at her. Sorry. All right, we're going to find nine other instances in here where this is about Gabe. I'm not okay. going to say anything anymore. <laughs> in 1982, Nicola Keim lost her mom, Anne, to bowel cancer. Oh, man. Anne was 33, and Nicola was seven years old. She moved in with her dad and his girlfriend. No! A few weeks into living with her father, Michael Evans, he snuck into her room while she was asleep and molested her. Oh! 
From then on, dad forced me to watch him masturbate. Oh, my God. It was horrible, but I accepted that this is what fathers do to their little girls. Oh, no. On one occasion, when Nicola was only eight years old, quote, he snuck into my room and tried to force my legs open, but I clamped my legs together so he couldn't hurt me. Thankfully, he didn't penetrate me, but I was terrified of him. I felt sick and refused to tell anyone about the abuse, end quote. This went on throughout her childhood until Nicola was 13. She and a friend from school were talking about sex. She asked her friend how often her dad did it to her. Whoa. This is when she found out this shit wasn't normal. Yeah. It was when she was 13, and it had been going on for years. So this is another quote from Nicola. She looked so shocked and said that her dad had never done it to her. I felt confused. Dad had made it seem so normal. The next day, police and a social worker were waiting to speak to me at school. Oh so God, she so must let her friend like I know fucking said something, and you know that she mean? had like she went home and told her mom, and her mom listened. And her like how many steps that has to go through for a kid to actually get help in any kind or of for those kids situation. to even be heard, right? Or feel like they can talk to somebody, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oof, I know. I am like chills all over. Okay. So she's in the 80s too. Okay, yeah. just go. Okay. So I'm going to start that over. The next day, police and a social worker were waiting to speak to me at school, so she must have told someone. I revealed what hap- had happened and was taken to live with my mom's sister. I finally felt free. Evans was then arrested and charged with attempted rape, indecent assault, and indecency with a child. Guess what he did on the day he was supposed to appear in court? Did he kill himself? No, he fucking disappeared for oh. 25 years. Whoa! Meanwhile... Nicola lived in fear that he was going to come after her. For 25 years, she didn't know where this guy was. Starting at her age of 13 years old, she didn't know where her dad was, if he was going to pop up. Who knows the shit that he said to her to keep her quiet. Yeah, I mean, if she thought it was normal, she's still probably processing that this wasn't her fault. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All the shit that she had to go through to, like, get through, not even get past it, get, like, 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 when when you grow up, thinking something is normal and then you find out that it's not mm-hmm. just that mind fucking itself like you've right. been socialized to think this one thing I mean just think about people that come away from their faith you know what I mean like right. that whatever oh my god it's crazy right any kind of yeah anything that you grew up with thinking is is normal like I've I've read a lot of stories of like you know kids having like this kind of terrible experience in their childhood and I don't know how common it is for kids to realize that it's n- not normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be co- just as common as like, oh yeah, you know, our parents beat us and stuff and we didn't I didn't realize it wasn't normal until I was at my friend's house or like we didn't we didn't ever have food. I didn't realize that wasn't normal until I saw people that did and whatever, you know. Yeah. But like I read stories and it's like people like kids knew that it wasn't that it wasn't a part of every kid's life. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Even the kids that or the kids that it was happening to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, meanwhile, Nicola lived in fear that he was going to come after her. Whenever I went out, I thought I'd bump into him or that he might be watching me. I became too scared to leave the house. He never showed up for her, though. He was just gone without a trace. She kept hoping he'd be found dead someday. In 2013, Nicola got some news. Two officers came to her door to inform her that they had indeed found her father. They had been reviewing a missing persons case from 1988 involving a woman named Susan. It turned out that Susan had been the wife of Nicola's dad's friend, but left her husband in May of 1988 to run off with Michael Evans because that guy's a fucking catch. She had been living under a false name 140 or so miles from Nicola. Evans was using her husband's identity and had changed his name from Kime 
to Evans. So he had, they had the same last name and then he knew enough to change his last name and go into hiding. So then he was fucking arrested. Michael Evans was found guilty of two charges of attempted rape, six counts of indecent assault of a girl under 14, two counts of indecency with a child and conspiracy to pervert the course of justice at Lincoln Crown's court. He got 15 years of jail time. He's now 65, so hopefully he'll be dead soon. And she said, not only did dad take away my childhood, he has stolen most of my life. For years, I was afraid of my own shadow, terrified that dad would hunt me down. I'm so pleased that he's faced justice now. It was worth the wait. The fact that he ran from the police shows how scared he was. For years, I felt like I've been running from my past. Now I've realized that I wasn't to blame. I'm so pleased dad was jailed. His sentence has helped me move forward with my life. And now she's 44 and has three kids. Dude, this shit like fucks with, it ruins kids' lives. Yeah. It ruins their entire lives forever. Right. Like, I can't, I can't even. Let's be done. Yeah. Okay. Well, love you, buddy. Love you, bye. Bye.